Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast for a special edition. Today we're going to be speaking about body positive parenting during pandemic, which is an episode I really wish we didn't have to air, and at the same time I'm really thankful that we get to air. Uh, It's just me, Zoe, here today. Leslie was called away on Family Matters, but she is well and safe, and we're both at home and with our families, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend, colleague, and wonderful psychologist, and actually a friend of the Full Bloom podcast from a prior season, Dr. Rebecca Kennedy. Dr. Rebecca Kennedy, who's now known as Dr. Becky, due to her uh booming Instagram presence currently, has been offering incredible parenting advice uh, for the last several weeks through her Instagram platform and has really been able to cover a lot of bases with respect to parents' anxiety during this time and how to really help our little ones not just navigate this time, but build resilience and thrive during this very, very challenging time. So we are thrilled to have her with us today and can't wait to share this interview with you. Dr. Becky, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Always, always a pleasure talking to you, Zoe. I feel like a lot has changed on your end since we had you. You were you were not Dr. Becky when we had you on the first time, but I, I really like calling you Dr. Becky. Um, well, so what's going on? Like, tell us a little bit about your metamorphosis. Yeah. So, you know, for so long, I've just, you know, I come home from parenting groups or parenting workshops and I had just so much energy and my husband's always like, oh, I, I love hearing what you have to say, but like, write it down somewhere, put it somewhere. You've, you've never seen you with so much energy. And I've always felt busy. I have three young kids. And something happened, you know, toward the beginning of this year when I just kind of switched. I said, yeah, I'm going to start writing. And when I started writing, I could not stop. And I, you know, realized, wow, I really have a lot to say about anxiety and self-care and compassion and parenting and strategies. And then kind of just decided to launch an Instagram with this uh, handle Dr. Becky at home because the parenting groups that I run that have been ongoing always joke. They always say to me, you know, when I'm at my home, I always think about things we've talked about and it's kind of like I have Dr. Becky at home. So I said, okay, that's going to be my handle. Mm-hmm. But the irony is now during, you know, kind of self-quarantine, I am literally Dr. Becky <laughs> at home and it's kind of become this, you know, kind of perfect and ridiculous Instagram handle. And I've just felt so grateful to connect to so many people in the Instagram community. The connections have been so much deeper and more meaningful than I thought they'd be. And honestly, it's been the biggest gift to me (laughs) to be able to feel useful during this time, I think when we all feel so stuck. So I've been getting messages from people who follow me saying, thank you, this feels so helpful. And I truly mean it when I say thank you for allowing me to feel productive and have a little agency right now because those things are keeping me sane. Yeah. And for listeners who aren't familiar with Dr. Becky at home on Instagram, we did try to make a little like call to action. Check it out a couple of weeks ago. Your presence on there is awesome. I mean, you're giving out, I think I've seen a lot of people like, check this out, free child psychology. Like, and it's, it's trustworthy. Obviously I know you personally and professionally and I'm also very grateful for all that you're putting out there. And it's it's a great resource. I don't think that there are many like it. So congratulations. Well, thank you. And thank you for, 
you know, our connection early on is one of the things that definitely, you know, encouraged me to kind of take on this next challenge and put my thoughts out there. So thank you for the, you know, the model that you, you showed me. Yeah. And for, and for listeners who aren't familiar with your first appearance on the podcast, the episode that you did with us in our first season was all about the non-judgmental stance, like, and how can, as a parent, how can your non-judgmental stance um, support your child in, we were sort of saying like emerging sense of self and, and ultimately like body positivity. And it's definitely among our most popular episodes. And I think it stands out in that it does one of the deeper dives into more of the emotional wellness sphere, like full bloom. Obviously we have a huge emphasis on body positivity and body image prevention and disordered eating prevention, but we continue to be really interested in all parts of our children's development. And these things just can't come one without the other. And so it just, in light of all that's going on right now, when I started thinking, okay, body positive parenting during pandemic, my thought was, well, this feels like we need to build on that conversation we started with you last season. And I think you're you're actually already having this conversation with thousands of people on Instagram. And so, you know, I think when we talk today, I think I particularly just want to hear from you about what people are asking and sort of think through with you what we can do both as parents for ourselves and for our kids to boost resilience and to kind of cope and just for everyone to be thinking about how this though we may not be talking specifically about body image, how we're talking about the body, the feelings that live in the body, the sensations that live in the body, and how this is such an important building block to the whole kind of overall fully blooming child who's now blooming in a very strange and unsavory time. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to frame this because, you know, you, you know better than I do in the area of you know, body and eating disorders. But, you know, I think any child or adult who's struggling with an eating disorder or body image issues is struggling to feel safe, right? And the way they express their lack of safety or their desire to get control and feel kind of more secure comes out with language around their body or with the focus around food. And this is definitely a time where, you know, we're not sure how safe these things feel. We're not sure how safe our kids feel. So that common theme of safety, I think, is, you know, throughout. So yeah, I think it's an important time. In some ways, we're broadening the scope, but it's really speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm, I'm curious, just as we kind of tap into it, what questions have your uh, followers been asking? I mean, especially the ones that kind of keep coming up. Like I have seen similar questions and comments kind of coming up. Um, but I'd love to hear from you sort of what seems to be on people's minds. I'm happy to also share what's on my mind, but, you know, just to kind of cast a wide net. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if there's general categories, but I'll just kind of start, you know, saying things that come to mind. But I definitely think one of the things on people's minds is this idea of how do I cope with something that has no end in sight, Right. Um, so I think that's a really kind of popular question coming my way. And a lot of the people who are following me are actually like kind of really remarkably self-reflective and saying, um, like, kind of, I know I can't think that way, but those thoughts, like, keep coming up. Just like, you know, how am I going to cope with no end in sight? So that's a theme. And then I think there's also been a lot of focus with kids about the, you know, just the difficult interactions people have been having with their kids and trying to make sense of how do I intervene now? And is this related to kind of what's going on? But they were kind of like this before. And I think a common theme is how much should I be talking to my child? How many details should I be giving them? What makes them feel better? What makes them feel worse? Um, And I think whether there's someone who's a toddler or kind of an elementary school kid, or even a teenager, parents are asking themselves that question um, at every level. So I guess there's a little bit of a theme that I think there's like a little bit of a self-care focus of how can I deal, like I keep keep thinking about the unending nature of this. Then I definitely think there's an increase in difficult behaviors and kind of parents wondering what they should do. And then also thinking, how do I really communicate with my kid about what's going on? Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about those 
categories as they pertain to kind of different age groups. You're doing a lot of stories or IGTV. It's, you know, you're really on it. It's very impressive. But there was one anecdote that you were sharing about, I think it was your son who like wanted to leave, wanted to leave the house naked or, you know, and so maybe if we start kind of with the littlest ones and maybe we could talk a little bit about sort of older kids as well, but body positive parenting and sort of building emotional resilience and all of this stuff, we want to start young if we can. So could we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So for those of you who haven't seen the video, and yes, it's true. Thank you for saying it's I'm on top of it. But I more like I sometimes find in my day, I cannot stop myself from sneaking into the corner and recording a video. My husband will be like, <laughs> we were having dinner. Like, where'd you go? He said, you go in the bathroom. And he's like, were you recording a video? And I was like, oh, I was. I just had to get it out. How to tell the story. So I have a two and a half year old. He's my youngest of three. And this is actually an age where I feel like a lot of parents think kind of, you know, my kid seems fine or, you know, my kid's so young. And, you know, I'm just a really big believer of respecting that kids are deeply sensing beings, especially when they're young. It's an evolutionary mechanism to sense the changes in their environment so they can kind of adapt to them and feel safe. So they are sensing every change around us. And changes that are unlabeled for kids feel unsafe. Changes without labels feel more unsafe than changes with somewhat scary labels all the time, right? So I was telling the story about how my two and a half year old, and I think so many kids in the 18 to kind of 36 month kind of stage right now are just not satisfied. They're asking for ridiculous things. They want waffles and they want cereal. Then they want yogurt. They want the yellow shirt. No, the blue shirt. No, the red shirt. They want to do something that you're thinking. I've never done that before. Why did my child even ask? And this is what happened to me. My child was asking me, can I go outside naked? And, you know, I even said this in the video, you know, he's naked, I would say 85% of the day in our house. And that's fine. But it was like 40 degrees. I don't know. I was just like, I don't think he should go outside naked. But I also realized at this moment, he's literally looking for me to say no so he can release so much of his angst of this time. You know, and I think this is important for every listener to keep in mind. Whether you have an 18-month-old or an 18-year-old, your child is going to be looking for you to hold a boundary with her just so she can have a surface-level reason to release all of her feelings that are really saying this time period is filled with so many changes and so much uncertainty. And I feel so just kind of confused and upset about that. And I need to release those feelings. Now, nobody ever says that. I mean, I don't even say that to my own husband, right? So nobody says it. They say it through their behavior. So sure enough, I told him he couldn't go out. And it just, he had a major, major meltdown. And one of the things I did, even at his age, is I You know, I did this thing, which I demonstrate in my video, which is I sing this regulating song that I think is one of my single best parenting interventions in my house. I just don't respond to the tantrum. I do some version of Blake, Blake, it's okay, kind of over and over. And then I say, take a deep breath and do it. And probably I do that on repeat literally 20 times. And then when he started to calm down a little bit, I said to him, there have been so many changes oh my goodness, we're in a different house and we're not even seeing the buses we usually, you know, take to school and you're not going to Montessori. And when I said Montessori, his whole body changed and he just looks at me and says, I miss Montessori Mm -hmm. and went into everything, his snacks and, you know, you know, and his teachers and everything. I was like, oh my God, I kind of like that really connected to you. You really, this is really about missing Montessori and having so many changes and feeling uneasy. And sure enough, he did that. He cried a little more. And this is not a joke. He literally looked at me and goes, can you get me my clothes so we can go outside? I was like, wow, you know, that doesn't always go that way. Even in my house, sometimes he melts down again, but little kids, you know, and I can go over the language, kind of the nuance of how to explain it to them, but little kids need to be given an understanding of why these changes are taking place. And they need to have validation that, They are, in fact, noticing a lot of changes. That helps them feel safe. And safety from an 18-month-old and an 18-year-old leads to more regulated behavior. I think that that sort of 
labeling and making, trying to make sense of something, even though we, of course, can't make sense, even we can't make sense of what's really going on at large. But I think the exercise that you had also mentioned, I think around the same context of just giving your kids an opportunity to name what's the same and what's different. And that's sort of maybe more age appropriate for younger kids, but even just to be able to say something like, well, blue is still blue, I think is one of your kids might've said, um, but you know, now school is on the computer. And just to be able to name some of these differences that I'm noticing with my young kids, they seem to be just sort of accepting in sort of a, a who knows how long it'll last. It's probably a bit to do with their age and they're, they're not sort of complaining about the changes. But I think what you're saying is such an interesting um, like way to decode because then if our kids are pushing a limit or a boundary, I hear you saying like, well, that's they're looking for their way to, in response to then us, get it out, whatever it might be. Like it's not going to be a directly literal like, I'm sad that I can't X, Y, Z right now. I think that's exactly right. Like kids don't say that. And if we think about ourselves, which I think is always a good way to kind of empathize with kids. Like if I had a horrible day and I got fired and this and my whole world changed, I'd come home and I would just be waiting for my husband to do one thing a little bit wrong. So I could say, I I can't, but I would lash out at him and it would feel so good. I'm not saying to him, hey, just so you know, I have a lot of pent up frustration from the day. No, I'm not even doing that, right? Me and you aren't doing that. So our two-year-olds and our 18-year-olds, anything, they're not, exactly. And what you referred to, I think is an awesome concrete step if you're listening to this podcast. Make a list of things that have changed and things that have stayed the same. There's no pressure to make the list that has stayed the same as long or as longer than the change list, right? I, I say this a lot, but I think it's critical. Our kids don't need us to help them feel better. They need our help understanding the feelings they have. Understanding when kids understand their perceptions and their feelings, they feel safe. And safe is better than better. It really, really is. Safe is better than happy. And just making a list, I do. we have a list up on our kitchen where we are, where just things that are, you know, the same things that are different. And it's an ever-evolving list. I'll add some things. We'll be in another room. And if we name something, I don't necessarily run to the kitchen to put it down. But it's also just a visual reminder. Kids really need things to be made concrete, right? It makes it feel more mm-hmm. real. And we'll be like, oh, that was a good one. Yes, that's true. And, and I'll use it in a difficult moment, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to get to go to swim class. I'm like, yeah. Uh, oh, you're so identifying and other things that have changed. One second, let me put it on the list. Wow, yeah, yeah, not going to swim class as I write it on the list. And there's something about it that feels so validating and grounding to my daughter as I write it. Yeah, well, and it's it's reminding me actually of of our first episode that we did together, right? Because the little script that you gave to us I can't even tell you how many times I've recycled it for adult patients in my practice, especially when it's a patient that didn't get that as a child. And, you know, when we really identify like how hard it is and and just for listeners that haven't listened to the episode when Dr. Becky was on last time, she talked to us about really just when our children are dysregulated or acting in a way that is difficult for us even, that one of the best things, if we can regulate our own emotions enough to do it, and we can't do it all the time, just to be able to reflect back to them, thank you for telling me, and wow, you really know you feel that way, tell me more, tell me more. Even if the way they feel is outrageous, it makes no sense to us, Because the big takeaway from that episode, for us anyway, is we're working on getting our our children, no matter how old they are, and even adults, I think this is a handy tool, to become aware of how they feel and then know that it's valid, how they feel is real. And that translates so beautifully to even just knowing that you as you are in your body is valid that it's not about trying to change the way you feel or change the way you look, but rather 
if you can know that this is how I feel, wow, I feel upset that that validation, it's just, it's so critical. And so many of us grow up without that just because, you know, it's hard to, I guess it's hard to do. It's hard to, what, offer validation? <laughs> is, it, is that hard to do? I just think most people were brought up in a kind of fixing or ignoring environment in terms of how their parents related to their emotions. So w- when we see those, you know, kind of similar emotions in our kids, we um, we have kind of procedural knowledge that's in our bodies that, you know, in terms of how to respond. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful you brought up that episode because I think these are, those are three lines and what Zoe's referring to is, you know, so many times as a parent, I think I only need to say three things to my kids, like literally just three things and they're seemingly nothing. But when they express anything to me, even if my two-year-old is expressing kind of his feelings in, in kind of quote, bad behavior, or my older one is expressing it with words, just starting with that first line is, I'm just, I'm so glad you're sharing this with me, right? And I can even use that with my two-year-old, even when he's not, quote, sharing. Like if he's, again, protesting about not going, uh, he does, he can't go outside naked, I could say, well, I'm so glad you let me know that you're so upset about that. It's actually like an amazing reframe to use with a young kid who's not telling with words, but is telling with behavior. Mommy, don't go to the office to start work. Well, I'm so glad you're telling me that that upsets you. That's such an important feeling for me to know, honey. And then you can go from there. It totally shifts the dynamic, just like as it does with your 16-year-old at home who's maybe miserable and missing her friends and hating her family and, you know, says something to you. And you could say, well, I'm really so glad you're sharing with me that it's so hard for you to be home, right? So again, that's like such a great opener. And then the second line, like you said, is just you really know you feel that way especially our tweens and teens, they need to hear this. I think so many of them, I've been hearing this on Instagram, is just they're miserable. And we want to go and show them the bright side or we want to tell them, but there's still Zoom. And what they really need to hear is like, you just know that this feels really different and not great to you. And yeah, you know that. And sounds like a hard time. And then you said it, Zoe, the next line, which kids and adults love is just tell me more about that. Tell me about what's so hard. Tell me all the things about that, right? Um, uh-huh. and yeah, I think those lines, those, thank you so much for telling me this, or I'm so glad you came to me with this. And then you really know you're feeling this way and tell me more are great kind of coronavirus parenting lines. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, since you mentioned tweens, I mean, I don't want to skip over like children cause I think we're sort of talking about more like <laughs> toddler, like preschool, but with older kids, I'm I'm wondering, because it's not something I'm experiencing yet with my children, have you been getting questions about, like, my kid is anxious, my kid is asking questions, I don't know what to say, like, this kind of goes into, like, what do I say, how much do I say, how do I have a constructive conversation, especially if I don't even know how I'm coping, <laughs> I'm barely holding it together, you know. Is this stuff that's coming up around older children? Yeah. You know, I think the majority of what I'm getting, I think there's there's definitely some of that my kid's super anxious and worried. But honestly, more than that, I'm hearing that their kids are really struggling with the social isolation, which is kind of even developmentally yeah. normal. Though I think if you have a worried or kind of anxious, deeply thoughtful kid, this is definitely a difficult time for them. Right? Because any of us who are anxious kids or adults, we really struggle in moments of uncertainty. Right? And we, I think a lot of us adults are worried about the uncertainty about this virus. It's spreading finances. I think a lot of kids, they might be worried about that, but they're also worried about uncertainty related to when do I go back to school? Will I be able to do that play I was going to do in the summer? Right? So there are a little Mm -hmm. more egocentric concerns as would be appropriate. Those may be sometimes about health. But yeah, I think there is a lot of kind of just difficulty with uncertainty. So if we think about the importance, and and we did do a podcast episode back in season one with another guest about resilience. And we really do think that, well, we know from research, right, that like building resilience or fostering resilience in our kids, it's really critical for body positivity, but moreover, their capacity to fully bloom with that in mind, like what can you offer us in terms of how can we have these conversations, engage in these conversations in a way that is containing and has like this sort of objective. I want it. I want my children to learn how to be resilient through this experience or 
or build that muscle. That's great. That's like a big focus of mine too, right? Because the truth is, right, resilience is built in moments of anxiety. We don't ever build resilience in moments of success. We build success, but not resilience, right? And this is like the time when we have a lot of anxiety. So there's so much resilience building opportunity, I guess you could say. So the the struggle, I think, with parenting and wanting to build resilience is we want to get to the end point, which is that moment when we said, wow, I didn't think I could do this, and then I did. Or when we say, you know, wow, that was hard for me, but now I figured it out, right? We kind of have this definition that that's what resilience looks like. And I think we want to fast forward to that end point, which is a parent makes us feel sometimes like, wow, look, my kid's so resilient. They were so upset for two days about their friends. And then they came to me on, you know, the third day and said, wow, I figured out I could Zoom and I could do this. And it's almost as good, not as quite, but I feel so much better. And then we think, wow, I have such a resilient kid, right? And so we want to fast forward. You know, I, I don't think that's resilience, right? To me, You know, all good coping comes from actually being able to tolerate our distress. And then eventually a day comes where our distress, I don't know, kind of like simmers down or something else becomes a little louder than it. But that's rarely as immediate as we'd like. And, you know, one of the, I think, primary strategies and really the foundational strategy to help your child build resilience is to really be there for your kid in whatever she is feeling at that moment. I've actually been receiving, and I'm going to get back to the resilience, but I think it relates so deeply. I've been receiving so many questions, I would say, about like coping, coping, coping. We all talk about coping. We love coping. I've been writing, and this like idea struck me that coping, we go to it too fast, right? Like Because we cannot cope with a feeling until we've done a couple things first. And if we don't do those things first to ourselves or with our kids, a coping strategy will be 100% ineffective, okay? So before we cope, I think there's three things we need to do internally and definitely with our kids. And that's what builds resilience. And I think those three things are acknowledgement, validation, and permission, right? So if anyone here is a kid, what that really means to build a child's resilience, we want them to practice that pattern. When I have a feeling, I first acknowledge it, then I validate it, and then I give myself permission to have it. And then, and I can give examples of what this even sounds like. And what I think is after you've done those three things, then you can do, quote, your coping skill. Now I'm going to do belly breathing. Now I'm going to kind of make a schedule for myself. Now I'm going to ground myself in the moment. Now, you know, whatever the coping skill is. Now I can do that. But if you don't do those things and you try to skip to coping, first of all, you're not going to be regulated enough to even think of something helpful to do. And it literally will not work because your body is trying to figure out what's going on. We can't solve a problem until we sit with and see the problem. And those three steps help you do that. So what does that really mean? It's a, it, well, and it's almost like if, if, I don't know if the metaphor fits, but it's almost like you sort of need to take the emotional temperature and then bring the emotional temperature down. And the only way to, well, you can't, basically you can't bring the emotional temperature down if you haven't identified that it's there and sort of what it is. Exactly. And like, even if you're thinking of, if you want to give your kid like medicine for a temperature, if you're denying that the temperature exists or you're saying, well, the temperature says 104, but really I think it's 99, you're not going to choose a good strategy, right? You can't wish away right. or ignore it. You know, it brings up another metaphor that I, it could literally make me cry every time I think about it, but I think it's really, it's been so useful to me and I think it's useful to parents The metaphor for resilience building is your kid is sitting, to me, is your kid is sitting on a bench in a park. And there's a lot of benches, but she's deciding which one to sit on. And the bench is the bench of her emotion. Let's say it's sadness or anger right now. Our job as a parent is actually remarkably simple, though difficult to do. It's just to sit on that bench with your child. It's not to come over and say, I have a magic potion. I'm going to change your bench into a better bench. It's not to say, hey, look over here. I have a bench in the sun and it's so much happier. Please come here. It's literally to just sit and kind of wait and wonder without any pressure to change. And I I promise listeners that what ends up happening is your child ends up leaving the bench before you do. Like they just do because they realize at some point there's a lot of other benches here. You know, I can walk around, but the goal is to sit with your child. And I think before I even go over like how to do acknowledgement, validation, and permission, I think parents, like I would urge you to pause and just kind of store that metaphor, 
Because I, you know, the problem with giving words is so many parents that are in a moment, they're like, what did that person say? I'm supposed to say, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to say the right words. And, you know, it's not about the <laughs> words. It's about the essence. And we know as a parent, am I sitting on the bench with my kid right now? Or am I like trying to big, bring them to a different bench? And then if you're like, yeah, I got to sit on the bench. Whatever words you think of are going to be so much better than my words or Zoe's words because you know your kid the best, right? And you're going to come up with something that feels authentic to you. So even if I go over some words, those are the ones that feel authentic to me. But I would urge everyone to kind of think of that metaphor and kind of do the bench sitting (laughs) in whatever way feels right, right? So having said that, like words that feel right to me is, you know, acknowledgement of a feeling is just naming it, right? So it's like saying to your kid, wow, you're feeling upset that you can't see your your friends in person. You know, I even hear you, you know, I, I see you crying. That lets me know you're really upset. Or I even think the argument we got in before was just a sign that you were so upset. Just acknowledgement, name it to tame it. I think you're feeling upset or I can see you're feeling worried, right? The second step is validation. And the phrase that always sticks in my mind that I literally just try to use that phrase with myself when I'm anxious or my kids is make sense. That's an amazing phrase. We love, our bodies Uh love hearing that because it's the opposite Uh of feeling crazy. And when we feel crazy, we get into a spiral with our feelings, right? So it's like saying to your kid, well, yeah, you're used to seeing your friends every day and you have so many amazing friends and you're so social. Makes sense. You would feel as upset as you do. To me, like I can imagine myself sitting on a bench with my daughter, (laughs) If she was so upset, like, that's what I would say if I was on that bench. Like, yeah, it makes sense you're on this bench. And then the permission feels like it's like doubling down on that. And these words are so powerful to use on ourselves and definitely with our kids. To ourselves, I think I say to myself, it's like, yeah, I give myself permission to have a really sad day today. I'm giving myself permission to have a really worried day. Like, anxiety is not my enemy. I say this to myself a lot. Anxiety is not my enemy. It's just my very loud friend. It's very loud today, (laughs) you know, but no one can be loud forever and... She'll kind of chill out when she can. And to my uh-huh. kid, I try to say, you are allowed to feel as upset as your body feels for as long as you want to feel it. I say this a lot, and I think this is there's a lot of implications in this with body and food. Only you know how you feel right now. You seem really upset. Now, I might say to my teenager, now, you're allowed to feel as upset as you want to feel, but honey... I won't let you call me names. Like those two are so different. You could feel so upset and feel like I'm not a good substitute for your friend, but you can't name call me. That's just not something we do in this family, right? Or you can say to your younger kid, you're allowed to feel really angry about all these changes, but you can't take that out on your younger sister by hitting her. I won't let that happen. No matter how you're feeling, I'm going to keep everyone safe, but let's figure out another way, right? There can still be boundaries. Um, But those three things before we cope, right, are so critical. And definitely with our teenagers and tweens, they need that from us. And then they're going to cope and problem solve on their own. I promise parents, if you just do that, the likelihood of them coming to you the next day and saying some solution is, has skyrocketed, skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's a nice tie actually to our, um, a recent episode we just did about stress eating and comfort eating that we ended up recording very coincidentally before the pandemic took over. But, you know, when you said the body just loves to hear makes sense. One of the things that the researcher we spoke to shared with us was how we are not the only species that comfort eats like primates and rodents also do it too. And it was equivalent of like, makes sense. And I think it's really important, especially, um, you know, we're not talking explicitly about food and eating behavior today, but this idea that like some of our kids, some of us might be reaching for food as a way of comforting ourselves. And, you know, sure, we can talk about whether or not that's that alone is an adequate coping skill. Um, And we have talked about that on the podcast and we'll talk about it again, but it makes sense. And there really can be, it's a fancy word, but like that anxiolytic effect of eating comforting foods that it makes sense. And so it's a nice sort of opportunity to kind of pull in that reminder that part of what we talk about a lot is like getting the morality out of food. And this is the time to really allow permission to 
cope how you may need to cope. But again, like it just felt like such a meaningful tie-in to think about acknowledging like that totally makes sense and allow it to be what it is as opposed to sort of a moment of hysteria, which, you know, hopefully in a time like this, people aren't going crazy over their kids' (laughs) stress eating. But, you know, people do have concerns about that. So it, I just wanted to kind of make the connection. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. I guess we sort of talked a little bit about younger kids and older kids. Um, I guess I wonder if there's any other questions that have been coming at you specific to this particular time. Like I, I do think about sort of how direct to be about these topics with kids, how to sort of gauge how much information to share if you've been asked a question versus volunteering. I mean, I don't know if that maps to any of the questions you've been getting or if there's anything else that feels more like, yeah, you really want our listeners to be aware of. I actually think that's like something I would kind of almost close with talking about, maybe along with one other two, almost like little hacks or something that I feel like are especially, you know, useful right now. But we, we love hacks. We need hacks. I do too. I love hacks. Oh, they're so good. Yes. I, you know, I really believe the following, right? Our kids need to know what's happening. No asterisks in an age appropriate way at different ages. But here's the common theme. Our kids need to have a story to tell themselves about the upheaval in their lives. And for all the listeners to think, have I given my child a story? And this is not like supposed to be a shame inducing, oh my God, I haven't done that. I'm the worst parent. No. Okay. We are all, this is like, there's no shame for any of us right now. None of us are crushing it in life. If you've told your kid a story about what's happening, you haven't done something else important. It's just none of us are doing everything, me and Zoe included. Okay. But let's turn that shame into empowerment of like, oh, maybe I could do that. And maybe that will actually help my child because the more my child has a story, the less they're going to have to act out their out-of-control feelings and out-of-control behavior, right? I think every kid, if I had a newborn, I'd be talking to my child. I really would. And I think young kids, young toddlers and older kids need a story that has nothing to do with the details of coronavirus and uh, shortness of breath, right? So I'll even get some words because I think this is something that often we struggle with. So for your youngest kids, a story I think is really helpful. Some version of, you've probably noticed things have changed. I actually start that for every age. I just think it's such a deeply respectful communication to a child. Mm-hmm. You've probably noticed that things have changed. Like I'm really respecting my child as a sensor and perceiver. For a young child, I would probably say something like, we're all home. We're not going to our favorite donut place. And then I would say, here's why. This is what they need in the story. They need a why, right? For young kids, I would say something like, there's a germ like a cold. It's very, very jumpy. I'd say it like that. It jumps from one person to another when people are close. But here's the thing. When people stay home, it can't jump from one house to another. So that's why we're home so we can make the germ stop jumping. Okay? There's nothing scary there. Okay? If you want to use the word coronavirus, even at a young age, you can because it might be something your kid has heard. It's not a scary mm-hmm. word to them. It actually is going to be helpful to know, right? For a slightly older child, I'd say something similar. You probably notice things have changed. You've probably noticed this weird word in our house. I'm going to say it to you. Coronavirus. Let me tell you what's going on. That's right. That's the here's the why. Coronavirus is like a cold or it's like the flu. It can make some people sick. It travels one person to another, but it can't travel between houses. And so people, I've said this to my kids, it's like all the people are on one team and the germ is on the other team. And the people on the team are all staying in their homes. So the germ can't go from one person to another. That's why we're home and we can't do so many of the things we're used to doing. What changes are on your mind today? And then you can kind of go back to that list. They need Uh a story of the why. All kids do. Right? And I know I said something like this in the beginning, but I'm going to reiterate it because I just think it's such an important principle of child development. Nothing is scarier to a child than wondering why his world has changed and being alone in those concerns without an adult to talk to him about it. Literally nothing. I would defend that. I don't even know what the phrase is, but like till I die or till the cows go home, whatever, like I really would. Right? Because I think we know that as adults. I think all of us would feel better if they said, 
here, coronavirus and self-quarantine is going to be around for, I don't even know, they said six months. I'd be like, wow, that's a long time. But at least I know that at the end of September, that would make me feel so good. It's not knowing. That feels so bad, right? So number one, yes, tell your child what's happening. As you can hear in my examples, I'm not talking about the symptoms or the hospitals being overrun. The little kids don't need to know that initially. I'm really talking to them about truth and then describing why the world has changed and bringing them together again, right? And you said, Zoe, so things make sense. When things make sense to us, we do, oh, which is a sign of feeling safe and a little more in control. Related to your other question, well, and I I think I've heard from parents, well, what if my kid then starts asking questions, right? Uh Right. And I love talking about this, right? So (laughs) I'm glad I asked myself the question on your podcast so I could talk about it. It's important to realize that whenever any of us ask a question, we've already developed a baseline amount of information and wondering to ask that question, right? If my friend was, you know, an anesthesiologist and she said, guess, you know, ask me some questions about what I learned in my rotation today, I'd be like, I don't know what to ask you. I don't know. I don't have a lot of knowledge. If a kid is asking you a question, they've already experienced some knowledge around that and already have wondered. Again, I'm going to go back to that first point. We don't want to leave kids alone with wondering. We don't. Because when we avoid it, they're alone in it, and it kind of makes them feel that we think it's a scary topic because we're willing to avoid a direct question. Now, I love Mm -hmm. pausing. There are a lot of times I say to my kids, that is such a great question. I really want to think about it because I want to be kind of really mindful of what I say. And then I, But then I really will go back to them the next day. Pausing is great. You know, I'll text a friend. I'll be like, oh, my God, what what do I say? But then I'm going to go back, right? But I think the important thing when your kids ask you big questions like, well, could grandpa die or – you know, like, I think those are a lot of the questions. Could this person die or, you know, well, what does that mean? Like, what is, how is it like the flu? What, what happens? Do people get fevers? And your kid is going to feel safe when you slow down and just talk to them with truthful information in a loving way. That slow down loving pace is what communicates safety, right? The content is just answering their questions. I do a lot of with those questions, right? I think an underused phrase in parenting is, you're really thinking about. So like, wow, you're really thinking about this germ and how it affects everyone. That's a great kind of slowing down when someone says, could grandma die? Wow, you're really thinking about this germ and how it might affect grandma. Wow, those are really big thoughts. (sighs) Okay, here's the truth about the germ. Most people who get it, and I really mean that, sweetie, I'm telling you the truth. Most, most, most people who get it either don't get sick or they get a little sick and then they get better. You're asking me a good question, which I think is like, is it possible? And it is. It is. And again, most people don't. They really don't. But it is possible. And I know that's just, oh, that is such a big thought and such a tricky thing, I'm sure, to hear me say. And and then I'll just sit there in that sigh, maybe give my kid a hug. Maybe say something like, wow, you're like, you have so many big thoughts in that brain. That probably feels like so much right now. And then I'll go back to what we talked about, Zoe. But I'm so glad you're asking me these questions and sharing these things with me. It's really okay that you're doing that, right? And then that becomes a connecting moment. Now you're sitting on the bench with your kid of worry instead of walking away. And now your kid is on the bench of worry all by himself, which is a scary place to be. Yeah. I mean, I do. I hear you saying that, yes, answer questions directly, but there's an art to doing it. And, you know, making sure that you're separating could questions or is this possible question from like what's most likely. I think that that's important. And I personally, I, I'm aware that I'm wanting more of that reassurance as, as a grown up going through this. Like, I, I appreciate when I am reminded that, yes, this is deadly. Yes, this is terrifying. Yes, we have to stay home. We have to do all these changes, but that most of us will be okay, that most of us will be, but it is possible that some of us won't be. And to be able to kind of hang in there with the truth with your kid is hard. I mean, it's really hard. It's hard to do it as an adult, but I love the bench. I think that if if there's anything that we can kind of take away from this, just thinking about 
the importance of, of sitting on that bench that you're on and not trying to pull our kids off of it, at least not too quickly. And I think going back to that word resilience, I really, you know, I think really resilience is built when kids become adults, right? We're like, how do we want our kids to be when they're going off to college or even when they're 25, right? It's such a long game parenting. You know, I know I want my kids to be kids who can struggle well, who like in a moment that feels really hard, they're wired to think like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And I think there's a nice, there's like a, there's a a mindset that's a little too packaged of like, yeah, I'm going to stick with something hard and then I get to the other side. But Often I think when we stick with things, we do get to the other side, but sometimes we just wait. Sometimes it's just like resilience is just not knowing and staying with it and doing what we can. And I do think that's exemplified by that bench idea because what happens for kids is you have a parent who kind of approached your messy emotions by just kind of allowing them to be there, not making them worse with their own anxiety, just kind of some ways you communicate safety and having those messy emotions by saying, hey, I'm willing to sit here with you. That bench doesn't scare me you don't scare me that you're on this bench, I'm here. Then what happens is your kid internalizes, right? This message that even when my mom's not physically there, it's okay for me to have those times. When I'm in college and I feel like a test is way too hard and my, you know, professor yells at me and, but I really think I still want to like stay in the class. Like, I don't know if my professor's, you know, going to like me the next day, but like I have my mom's voice that's kind of basically says like, you're allowed to be upset and because I'm here with you, I don't think this feeling is going to kill you. Like you're stronger than it. We can sit here together. That travels with kids for years when they become adult. And to me, that's resilience, being able to struggle in something without yeah. knowing the other side is right there more than anything else. It's hard to make a grand statement about any kind of silver lining right now because my goodness, what a what a horrible time for so many of us right now. But whoa, what an environment to be building resilience and to be fostering it in our children. And I, I saw today that, you know, because I'm, I'm expecting a baby in the middle of this <laughs> disaster, which is insane. Um, but I guess this is Generation C. They're starting to call kids that are born in this time. And I was thinking just about how, who knows what that means or what that will look like, but what a time to have to raise resilient children. And, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think parents who are listening, you know, I think Zoe and I would both, I'm going to speak for you, have a little bit, again, of an asterisk or a caveat there. These are resilience building times. And they're totally messy times where most of the moments are not going to be building resilience. So right. if you're sitting there and listening be like, oh my God, resilience? Like I'm trying to make it through my day. A hundred percent. I know Zoe and I, you know, because we talk are like most of our moments, I'm not building resilience to my kids. I'm like, you know, either I'm yelling at them or I'm crying in the corner or, you know, I like managed to remember to get them lunch. Like totally. Right. But like right. in a moment, we might be able to have a conversation where we just say to our kids, like, yeah, here's what's going on and we don't know. And I wish I could give you a more certain response for you, for me. And it's just so hard not to know. But at least I guess we're not knowing together and I love you, right? Meanwhile, the rest yeah. of the day was like awful. But like <laughs> your kid, that's, yeah. a, that's a resilience building day. I don't care what else happens, mm-hmm. right? If we do that once a week and that conversation is 45 seconds, that's going to stick with your kid. You know, I've been talking a lot about like manageable moments. I'm just like, I'm trying to find five manageable moments a day. That's it. You know, that's it. And if we, I think we got five manageable moments a day, moments are short. They're not an hour. They're moments. <laughs> then we're helping, you know, our kids build resilience and we're building, we're still building our own. Yeah. I mean, we normally close with our million dollar question that I think you kind of answered it. This question, like if each parent listening could just do one thing on the regular uh, what is that one thing right now that you would want them to do to help their children fully bloom? And I guess I wonder, is it that? Is it is it that 45? Is it those moments or you want to go in a different direction with the question? I'm going to, of course, you know, I'm going to give you a 1A and 1B because I feel like I've, you know, the first thing I'm going to say to that actually is something, ironically, I feel like we even talked to that much. But if parents have gotten to the end of this podcast, I think the number one thing to do at this time is practice self-compassion. Is just say to ourselves, yeah. I'm here I'm doing it. I did enough today. 
I am enough. These are impossible times. I'm like living to tell the tale. So like, you know, I'm making it through, right? That's so Mm -hmm. important. Number, that's 1A. 1B would be to really talk to your kids in a way of thinking about making sense of things. I think that idea of let me help them make sense of what's going on and let me do some of that bench sitting. Let me keep that metaphor in my mind after this. I'm going to keep that metaphor and I don't need to remember Becky's words or Zoe's words. Those were their words. Like that's their words and their family and I know my family, but maybe that metaphor is interesting. And the next time something happens with my daughter, if I think, yeah, I want to be in that bench, that feels right, then I'm going to think of my own words. And those are going to be the ones that resonate uh, with my child. Yeah, that's great. Oh, Becky, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I know it's late. And I, I mean, I hope others feel this way, but I feel like just a little bit more at ease having this conversation. I think it's nice to be able to connect to, like I'm appreciating that I'm, we're doing this recording, looking at each other via Skype and that feels like it's just the social connection. It's so easy to like lose right now. And so just the combination and maybe that's a kind of call to action for everyone listening to like Skype a friend, (laughs) even if you're not going to record a podcast in the meantime, but we killed two birds with one stone, even though Leslie couldn't join us. And it's just important to just connect during this time with ourselves, with each other, with our kids. And I, I think this was incredibly helpful. So thank you. Thank you everyone for having me and for listening. And thank you, Zoe, always asking such great questions and being so kind of vulnerable and honest. Um, this is a great conversation and let's continue to make it through kind of just moment by moment. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And of course, please become a patron if you would like to help us keep producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.